Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Peter Gaidich, and we, we talk, wow, we talk about a lot of things in this interview, and, and, and really what we, we start with is uh, uh, about his book, The Inheritance of Shame, a book that uh, was just published this year uh, in April by Brown Paper Press, and we, wow, it, I mean, we're, we, we get into it right away. I mean, we touch on pretty much everything, authenticity, trauma, memory, forgiveness, hatred. This is a, a very personal uh, story that Peter tells about his life, uh, about his, uh, you know, as he talks about uh, about how he's got a lot more he's got a lot more living and forgiving to do, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And and I'm looking forward to doing a part two with him, and and feel really blessed and uh, to have just been able to get to know him a little bit more and to have uh, read his story. So you're not only going to want to listen to the interview, but I think you're going to want to get out and get the book uh, again, The Inheritance of Shame. You can check more about it online as well. Um, the Inheritance of Shame.com, and it's there that you can find out about Peter, uh, uh, events, speaking, media, a little bit about shame, a little bit about conversion therapy, and so on. Um, don't forget face to face live.ca for more uh, podcasting. Uh, Toronto International Film Festival is coming up. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be kind of fast and hopefully not so furious, but I hope it's going to be engaging and 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 meet you on a whole lot of different levels. They got some great films lined up and don't forget rabble.ca uh, for more information too about my podcasting. And if you'd really like to get behind me and and support what I do, you can do that through Patreon. Com. Coming right up, The Inheritance of Shame, and, and, and one of my favorite interviews in the last little while with Peter Gaidich. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today. Uh, Peter uh, Gaidich is here with us today to talk about his new book, The Inheritance of Shame, a memoir. And it is uh, recently published in 2017 by, by Brown Paper Press. Peter, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today, all the way from Vancouver. Yes, 
sunny but turning to fall Vancouver. Nice. I wish I wish I could say that we were actually face to face instead of digitally face to face here, um, and that we we here at face to face had the budget to fly you into Toronto to do this interview. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? This is great, though. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's not it's not a bad second, is it? No. So the the inheritance of shame, Peter. Congratulations on a on a remarkable book, on a on a beautiful uh, book about a, a tra- tragically beautiful uh, story. Um, can can you can you bring us in before I sort of say anything about it? As to it sounds to me like it was about a twenty year project, um, from from when you started writing, going through journals and and and, and memory. And memory is such an important theme in in, in the work, uh, but it truly is a very personal. Uh, and and at times difficult to read memoir. Um, can can you kind of provide a little bit of insight as a as a uh, you know almost like the the back page blurb for our listeners? Well, in terms of the twenty years, it's true, and it, ironically, it almost turned out to be twenty years to the day. Is that right? Uh, because the process started when I reported this doctor, my former psychiatrist, to the College of Physicians and Surgeons in British Columbia in nineteen ninety seven on May third. And the book was published on May 16th, 2017. And that five-page complaint letter about my doctor formed the basis for the, for the book that eventually I, I went on to write. Um, so really, it started in 1997. Uh, I don't know if you want me to give you more of the context of the story. I, I, I think that would be a great idea. I mean, I'm here. can, can I start that? Please. So f- for me... The book is about authenticity. It's about truth and trauma and therapy. It's about memory and story. It's 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 about community. It's about hatred. It's about healing and anger and parenting and love and inclusion and psychotherapy and shame and guilt and abuse. I'm not sure you left anything out. Uh, so I, I think you can hear my my sort of my passionate take on this. You, you've touched so many important themes in such a, uh, a transparent authentic human way so I'll, I'll i'll use that as sort of our our touch point for you to to take us in a little deeper oh well i really appreciate that and those those are the themes of the book uh whether i intended to touch on them or not it's just that was the the story which was uh trying to be brief which was basically um after i came out as gay to my family my catholic family um uh, you know went terribly wrong uh, they rejected me, and, and um, I, I fled my hometown uh, to escape that sort of uh, isolation and, and uh, the arguments that prevailed. And I was even more depressed and suicidal. And so I went to my doctor, and he referred me to a psychiatrist uh, because psychiatry is covered under our health care plan. And I was young and a student. And that's when I met this doctor uh, and started therapy with him, psychotherapy. And very early, not at the beginning, but within a few months of the therapy, he told me that it was my uh, homosexuality that had caused me all of my life's distress. And the only way to recover from this sense of pain and isolation I felt was to, uh, in his words, correct my homosexuality, to revert me to my innate heterosexuality. And I'd originally sought treatment in in large part because uh, I've been sexually abused as a child and and 
I had grown up in the 1970s with this pervasive um, uh, uh, ideology from the church, my, my family, the culture, the media, that uh, sexual abuse did make a person gay, or at least you should be feared that it might. You know, the whole uh, predatory homosexual that was you know, sort of in the media of the 70s. And so I grew up with this haunting fear that mm. this was the truth of my life. And I resisted it. I mean, I came out, I had gay friends, I dated, but it was lurking in the background. And when my family um, uh, rejected me and I went to this doctor, he just, his, his uh, beliefs that this was true, that the sexual abuse had made me gay, it just fit the narrative of my upbringing and and I was hooked you could say in in the sense of uh, wanting to do anything he said I should do to recover from my pain to to escape that pain and so the therapy lasted six years I was in this therapy six years and, and the bulk of it I was living in uh, a house with other patients he, he had me move into a, a psychotherapy house uh, that he called the sticks, S-T-Y-X. And um, we did our therapy in the house and in the, in the office. And the therapy, uh, in essence, quickly turned into a form of conversion therapy. But those terms were never used. And remembering that this was also late 80s, early 90s, right. these terms weren't really in the media like they are today. Well, I don't even know that they were at all. Um, but this was the essence of what was happening for six years. And after those six years, I left and, and uh, suffered through the first couple of years of, of terrible uh, PTSD. And even then, I wasn't using PTSD as a phrase. So, you know, these this language is, is helpful in retrospect. But at the time, it was just um, uh, overwhelming anxiety, uh, worse despair. Uh, and grief, just just uh, sort of a lack of comprehension over what had happened in my life. The way I've written about it in the book is it, it felt as if a storm had passed through my body, like a tornado through a, through a field, and my body had been left in, in, in just rubble. You, you, I mean, you know, so I guess so, so many of us want to look for the reason why something like this occurs and so i guess this form of psychotherapy if we can even call it that sounds to me like it's being too kind frankly but but is looking for this a moment or this event or uh, we want to blame our upbringing we want to blame you know your parents and 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 their their backgrounds the political backgrounds the the war that they'd been through the trauma that they'd suffered you know where how far does this go back you know these are all these questions that we ask is there a sense that you have something you can put your finger on you know you talk a lot about silence peter you talk a lot about the the, the inability I, I i'm just going to read this beautiful little piece here about about your father i kiss quote i kissed my parents good night in the living room before bed every night when i was a young boy but my father's body was wooden and unresponsive like my hugs were not a language he understood close quote it's so beautiful and you just finished speaking so eloquently about language um silence is is a form of language i suppose or or at least an act of communication um yeah is is, is any of that making sense uh, completely completely um and it's interesting because there was silence in my home at the same time it was uh, a loud presence uh, with the knowledge that my parents right. had, had lived through war i mean i grew up uh, understanding fully that my mother 
had been in three years concentration camp, uh, communist concentration camp in the former Yugoslavia. But I knew this in this in the, in a way that it was like, well, aren't all mothers right in, in concentration camps? I mean, it was just a given. Uh, you know, we all I think it's common knowledge. We all think that uh, our whatever our parents' histories are is just normal until we know differently. Right. And so this was the was this was the loud understanding, and at the same time a silence around uh, speaking and asking questions about their history, uh, which we were forbidden. And 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 at some point you you were able to break that down you were able to break sorry you were able to break through that at some point but it took years of uh, well years of therapy and and pseudotherapy and and medication and and community and 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 i guess detailing your memoir in a way i suppose would have in in fact you talk about the 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 act of healing through the writing through the memory in fact don't you end the book that way I, i read a review um you talk about um remembering is essentially the way what brings you peace Absolutely, uh, because for so many years I was in effect told not to remember. Um, I mean, I was told by the doctor to not remember because he denied everything. When I finally reported him and then sued him, uh, he denied everything, which is a form of not remembering, right? And um, then the the legal system, well, starting with the college, it was a form of, of not remembering because... Uh, there was a denial on some level of of the 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 catastrophe of the situation um, hmm. and the legal system I felt failed in, in the same way um, and then my family uh, and then even guys I dated after the therapy eventually when I went back and you know sort of took up my life again and you know there was this sense of uh, you know just move on don't think don't remember and I couldn't do that and to me it wasn't this moral high ground of remembering it was it, it in not remembering in in succumbing to the silence it, it felt like a form of death to me hmm. uh because uh the the trauma was pre- prevalent regardless to to address it to recognize it to speak it was a form of healing was to say that this thing had happened and i had survived and this is what i've learned and and that's the that's the way of moving forward. Would you would you say that if you had had a, uh, a and and obviously not looking to point any fingers or necessarily but specific blame on on anyone here, but if you had a more of a a friendly environment where you know people were able to listen, where you were where hugs were seen as a form of intimate language. And and you were able to connect with your mom and your dad in a very particular way, and your and your siblings. Um, it sounded like you had some pretty close friends, uh, you know, Pearl and, and and others that 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 ultimately, I guess, you kind of pushed away on some level. But or or was it way deeper than that, Peter? I mean, it's not just about being able to express your story, or or is it? Well, in terms of my parents, you know, the the paradox here, which I don't think is too uncommon for a lot of people, is that uh, the love and the safety, ironically, that was also present in my family, um, in effect, saved me from completely being taken under the currents of this silence and 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 uh, dismissal and uh, evasiveness and and. Um, 
uh, of the trauma, their trauma, but also mine, you know, the, the childhood sexual abuse, which was not uh, spoken of as well. So I did, there was an element of, of safety in my home. I mean, from the outside, I grew up in an upper middle class, West Vancouver side home, uh, Catholic schools, you know, with the uniforms and the whole thing, right. uh, p- piano lessons and and for, with parents from Europe. So, you know, steeped in, in a deep sense of culture and music and art and film. So there, there was this, this um, real nurturing environment, very much in, in, in one respect. But trauma was always in the background. Right. And the, and the silence of that, of that trauma um, was almost like an undoing of everything else. It, it just, it, uh, it buried me. And were your, were your parents taught, you know, that voicing these things w- was inappropriate, was not the right way to, to healing or towards healing? Or was that not even a conversation that they were willing to entertain? Not even a conversation. I mean, my parents, uh, as I've said, came from Europe. My father from Hungary. My mom is uh, uh, German, national, but living in the former Yugoslavia where there were a lot of Germans, uh, especially at that time, uh, before and after World War II. And, and so this is, this is their generation and, the, and their culture. The, you know, trauma, which they <laughs> lived firsthand, was at the same time not something that was discussed I mean, people didn't go into therapy. People didn't, you know, right. go out talk about their feelings like this. Yeah, it was. Yeah, let's just we we sweep it under the carpet and we we hope and trust and pray yeah. that it goes away. And they did what they needed to do in order to survive. And and now uh, in my life and through the writing of this book, especially, I, I've learned that and I've understood that and and it's helped me heal. But at this at the time. Um, it was just this deafening silence. It was just, um, you know, there, it was like a volcano in my body, and yet it, it, it had no place to release itself, no, uh, no avenue. How, Peter, how do you define dysfunction? Or how would you talk about it, I suppose? Maybe definition's too black and white. Uh, dysfunction, well... You know, when you asked that, the first thing that came to my mind was even something in my book. Um, when I talk about the breaking apart of something that was meant to remain whole, mm. I think that's how I describe it, but something to that effect. And and to me, that was part of the, you know, these are not words I necessarily would have used, dysfunction, but I think this is part of it, because of course you think the word function, what is functionality? And, and it seems to me that it's a breaking apart of something that... Sh- was whole and should have remained whole um and then and then you know you scramble to make it work as best you can but it's from a place of brokenness um and and would you say we're would you say we're all broken in our own ways you know i think uh, it's funny uh, i think about another part in the book where one of the psychiatrists who was hired to interview me that uh, defense had hired to interview me um, in his report about me, um, he, he he makes some comment. Now I'm having trouble remembering it exactly. But I just think the human, the human, um, uh, to be human is in some sense. Uh, I, I don't want to say broken to be broken because I don't think 
all people are broken to right. such degree, but um, I think it's part of what it means to be human to to reconcile with these issues. Yeah, a friend a friend of um, a friend of mine refers to them as uh, the I am nots. You know, I'm I'm not worthy. I'm not beautiful. I'm not accepted. I'm not included, and so on. And 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 I know I certainly suffer from a few of those. I have a fairly long list, I suppose. And so, how do how do we actually find healing? And and I think, and this is what's so beautiful to me about about your book and about your story is that um, it seems to be found in others. Uh, it seems to be found in you know uh, the the antithesis of silence, which to me is communication and relationship and intimacy and inclusion, not exclusion. You know this this sort of circle of embrace, if if that makes any sense. Completely. I guess I was where I was going is I'm hesitant to say that all people you know have extreme trauma. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. There's a there's a piece here where you say. Um, um, you're talking, I'm just, uh, the, the line is, in essence, our pact had bound me to a deafening silence and beneath my silence, uh, festering rage, close yeah. quote out of the book. Yeah. You don't strike me as a very angry person at all, Peter, uh, and we've only been chatting for about 25 minutes. Where where did, where did that, where does that rage go? And and maybe, can you talk a little bit about some of that primal therapy that, that you know, um, you know, primal therapy in quotes, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Would you? Yeah. Anyway, I've got so many questions, but yeah, if, uh, please go ahead. Well, I mean, in terms of the primal therapy, this is what the doctor practiced, and this is formed the basis of, of all of my treatment, primal therapy, uh, which very briefly is a type of therapy that was created, uh, discovered, or whatever by this psychotherapist Arthur Janov in LA in the late 1960s who my doctor actually studied with as a patient he was actually one of Janov's original patients so it basically says that all trauma can only be healed by the re-experiencing of it through these what are called uh, primal regressions uh, screaming uh, raging uh, using a baseball bat and thumping a mattress and and you know crying and wailing so this is the only way of healing the trauma so what my doctor did with me in particular was because my damage was my uh, the sexual abuse that had made me gay uh, all of my primals as it were were focused about uh, re-experiencing or a lot of my primals were about re-experiencing this, this sexual abuse uh, you know, crying and screaming and, and crying and, and um, batting a mattress in an effort to uh, revert my sexuality back to heterosexuality. So that's how the primal therapy in itself went sideways. I mean, I think primal therapy is a pr pretty uh, dangerous animal to use on patients because it sort of presupposes that the, doc the, the therapist is so healthy that they won't, um, there won't be any boundary violation. When when a person is regressed uh, in this state, and it's a very real experience. I mean, regressed. I'm not talking past life regressions. There's nothing hooey dooey about it. It's just very, it's just very much sinking into a uh, infantile state, crying and vulnerable is another word to use. An extremely vulnerable state. Um, all guards are let down, and and we have to assume that the therapist or counselor isn't going to make any sort of invasion 
uh, of any sort. I mean, I'm not even talking physical, just emotional, sure. and uh, misconstruing a person's history, which certainly happened with mine, um, redirecting them in, 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 in ways that take their, their life and therapy way off course. So that's, that's what happened with me and, and the primal. And, and it's interesting what you say. I want to come back to the the, the anger in a second and the rage. Um, you, you talk about vulnerability. I mean, I I don't know that I've read a book where an author is more more vulnerable in a sense. And I wonder you're not you're not saying vulnerability is a, a, a negative thing or we shouldn't work towards no, that. But in a loving community, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely, and I think and I ha- having experienced this this uh, therapy, if you could, yes, if you can call it that, uh, I am not pro. I'm not anti-therapy. I mean, I I I've since this experience have seen a um, a woman, a counselor for many years, and she's she's really helped uh, Jungian, you know, and it's really helped to have that place of safety to say things that I might not want to say to a friend. I might not want to burden them. Um, uh, so uh, vulnerability is absolutely essential, I think, as to be human. We are vulnerable. I mean, you can pretend you're not vulnerable, but, <laughs> I mean, if you shoot a gun at a body, the body dies. How vulnerable is that? I mean, you cannot escape the fact that we are, uh, we are mortal beings, right, uh, with all the vulnerabilities. Um, yeah. So, where, so, so back to the earlier question, where, where is the anger? You know, you, you, this is, this to me is a book about, this book has to be about forgiveness. Uh, and, and, and this is something clearly you've wrestled with and struggled with. I mean, it seems like there's so many people in your life that, that you needed to forgive. Whether or not they came to you and asked for it, I guess, is another question. But, well, starting with the anger, where is the anger? Um, you know, this is where it's almost like splitting hairs and it's a very, Mm delicate issue to, to discuss because in one way I would never condone what had happened to me or you know the, the methods of this therapy certainly not the methodologies of conversion therapy there are there were particular things about this therapy the the form of the therapy not the way in which the doctor used it that actually did help me right and so there, there were there was a coexistence of the two uh, some of the, uh, the, the screaming, uh, you know, in a structured, safe environment, um, released certainly uh, years of pent-up uh, anger. I mean, where does the anger go when you're constantly being told as a child, don't get angry, don't get, you know, you, you can be beaten, but don't get angry. You, know, you have uh, the, the experience of uh, sexual assault in your body, that violation. Oh, but don't get angry. Well, and 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 your father directly telling you to forget about your past. So, like, like yeah. for heaven, like we're not going to talk about it today, tomorrow, or ever. So do something. Get get it rid of it somewhere, but not here. So where does it go? And for me, um, it, it it remained in my body, and I became extremely depressed and suicidal. And that was what that was my story. Uh, and so when I started this treatment with this doctor and I had this the availability of screaming and using a baseball bat and a structure but I mean some of these things certainly help I mentioned that briefly because um, uh, you, you know I think that mostly the therapy went totally off course because of the, the, the man 
and the way he used these treatments. The other thing about the anger, where did it go, is writing this book has helped me heal in more ways than I could uh, explain to you briefly. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And, and just the process of, and not just the physical act of writing, but everything that I needed to think about and process and, and come to terms with in the writing of the book has helped me heal. And, uh, you know, anger can be a motivating force, certainly politically. Right. But it is, it can be a, a flame that burns itself out. Um, and so I, I, I do think compassion and love is a much stronger uh, force to live by. And there were times in the writing of this book, uh, specific things happened where I actually felt like I was standing at a fork in a road, mm. where I could continue with the anger, that sense of uh, injustice, or, I mean, there's... I mean, this exists regardless. I mean, there was a sense of injustice that that occurred. But in terms of uh, my my response to it, uh, you know, I could stay with that 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 anger or try to move into a place of um, compassion, which to me means understanding. It, yeah, understanding. Why did this happen? What led me to this experience, and and not just in my own life, but my parents, because I. I, I'm, I'm like one speck in the history of human, <laughs> humanity, right? So, I mean, it's not just about me and my little life. It's about, you know, what came before me. And I just happened to plop down at that moment in time, and I carried it forth. You know, I mean, trauma, I think, and, and oppression is, is almost like a force outside of us that, that comes through our lives, and we encounter it. And we can either go with it and, and, and carry it forth, like as oppressors or we resist it and we make change in, in a positive way it's not just about me and and my drama i mean that's part of it peter did you have to be um so it sounds like very much a choice on some yeah. levels but i would never want to make it um something so existentially simple as that it's not i mean there there were all kinds of things that had to happen it seems to me in order for Absolutely. you to get to a place to make that choice Oh sure, it wasn't. It literally, uh, I am trying to be brief. It wasn't. It wasn't one day sitting down. Oh, I have a choice here. And in fact, I never thought in those terms. But in retrospect, I can certainly see this is this is these were the issues I, I had to wrestle with um, it, during the writing of the book. I mean, twenty years is a long time, and part of that wasn't just you know writing you know on a typewriter the the book. It was right. Dealing with the issues and, and trying to understand. Well, I think any good poet or any great writer is you're you're, you're kind of constantly writing, even if you're not actually the, the physical act of writing is the one thing. It's the experience that leads to your fingers to to yes. to bang out the text, right? Yes. So you're sort of writing it as you go. I love how how when you're talking about uh, uh, some others who were being, I think, introduced into sticks into the community into this you know cult like atmosphere or cult as as I think. Others have certainly called it. Um, these are folks that couldn't actually deal with what was happening. They they sort of stepped into it, and then you know they got into their cars and they left. And and you say here that eventually, no matter what their tax bracket, everyone bled red. And there was something for me that just really leapt out of the page there. I mean, we're we're just we're we're all in this together on one hand, I suppose. And yet for me, that was a real real leveler uh, in 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 your story. 
Absolutely. I mean, in the, in the years that I lived in this house called the Sticks, um, I saw hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands of people come through. I mean, there were the core, we called them family members that lived there, but we had these uh, groups called intensives, uh, like two or three people at a time that would come in for three weeks and then leave. And it just kept going. And, you know, this within the context of these types of oh, crazy therapies, these uh, feeling therapies from the 60s and 70s, as I learned years after leaving my own experience, this was actually very common that these types of communities were set up and they would have these, even the term intensive was, was not one my doctor invented. I mean, we use this, but I read in, in other books that these were terms used, intensives. So I saw many people come and when you see somebody lie on a mattress and regress and start crying about their mother that never loved them and their father that dismissed them, I mean, when you see it time and again, it's just, <laughs> suddenly, you know, their face disappears mm. and you just, you just see that we are all connected on some level with the same primal needs and vulnerabilities and and um, and desires. I mean, we're we're all connected on that level. Yeah, I've I've done a fair bit of traveling over the years, and 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 with the work that I do, and and I've just been blessed and fortunate to have done that. And I I think as I get older, I'm looking for I'm looking for the commonalities. There's so many differences immediately. The the, the smells and the tastes and and the color of skin, and and yet there's so many similar. I mean, it's isn't it, isn't it about similarity through difference, Peter? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I I love what you said earlier about 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 love and compassion. How the heck did you actually finish the book? That's what I want to know. So 20, 20 years in the making. I mean, talk about a choice every day. I've done a little bit of writing. It's not easy. Uh, this is and 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 for my listeners, this is one of the most uh, uh, transparent, authentic, vulnerable uh, stories I've, I've I've ever read. So again, thanks for that. And what a, what a what an honor and a blessing to be able to step inside of that, uh, Peter. And I think that. Um, there's 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 so much value here for others, and I'm sure it was deeply therapeutic for you. Uh, but but the the reading of it has been therapeutic for me, and I know that others will feel the same. Um, yeah, how did you get it finished? You know, uh, are are you a heavy drinker? You know, is it is it all the Grey Goose vodka? <laughs> uh, I wish I could say so. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like martinis, uh, but no, no, you know. I, as I said at the beginning, I, I felt compelled to um, speak initially through this complaint against the doctor and then to write <clears throat> because the opposite to me was silence and silence felt like certain death. It, it, when mm. you're faced with this level of depression and, and, and isolation, um, y- you know, to break through it, you have to speak. That, that's, and, and, and I was a writer before the therapy and so writing to me was my way of speaking. Um, and and so I I continue to speak by writing, and and it took on many uh, you know structures through the years. From beginning, it was simply to map out what had happened because, as I said, it left me in a in a shambles. I couldn't even wrap my head around what had happened. Uh, so I mapped it out, you know, literally I met the doctor on this day, I took this much medication, it had this side effect, then he added this medication, on and on. Eventually I needed to do more than than write facts, and so I, I, I tried to um, uh, understand, you know, going back into my life, my childhood, my, and then eventually my parents, when you travel backward, you just can keep going, right? 
And so that was part of the, the writing where, where I was learning to understand what had brought me to this doctor, why I had stayed after for six years. Some people would have left day one. I mean, right. he did something on, on the first day that was shocking enough that some people w would have just stood up and said, well, okay, not for me, and walked out the door, and I went back. And then eventually, uh, as I moved through that part of the writing, uh, funny enough, these, these phrases, reparative therapy, conversion therapy, which I had been writing about all along but never really used those terms, uh, began appearing in the press because of the, the laws that are happening in, in, right. in the States and even in Canada. And so this just sort of... Uh, validated what I was doing. I mean, it's part of a cultural narrative now, actually. I mean, there's so much going on around conversion therapy. Um, and, it, and it sort of validated that this, this needed to be told. I mean, I, I, my goal, I and mean, one of my goals have, has always been to prevent, you know, the recurrence mm. of, of this type of thing from happening again, whether it's conversion therapy or, or quote, simply, uh, 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 this type of violation of trust between a doctor and a patient because that's that's basically what it was it was a, a, an extreme violation of boundaries and trust you know you you wind up uh, at the end of the book um, uh, on peace and love you're asked to give the eulogy at your father's funeral and you write about your dad in such a touching way and and you know we're back kind of back to anger in a little where's the anger to towards your 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 parents and and yet it, it, I'm sure there's uh, edges of it, but you say here that um, uh, I went on to say, quote, what I believe. The mark of any man, however, is the love he brings to the world in spite of his pain. The mark of any person is the love that lives on in the hearts of those who knew him. Uh, and it goes on, love does heal wounds, and there is no doubt to anyone who ever knew my father that he loved deeply. Um, close quote. It's, it's, it's a beautiful way to end the book, and then you go on to say, I need to remember in order to find peace. Um, I, 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 I think I know where the love came from. I think, I mean, I think if I was you, I would know. Uh, I hope I would feel the same way, Peter. But I have to say, I'm, 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 I'm kind of stunned in a way by that. If you know what I mean, I, uh, there's this level of admiration there. How, how do you get there? Was that after years of also working through those issues with your family as well that you were able there, or would you say that you never lost that throughout? Well, that's interesting because what I was going to say is and it's certainly been true in my life I, I I would like to think that it's true of all but that the love is what was always present mm. <clears throat> it was the it was the um, nice. in the, it was in the background it was the foundation and the love gets lost with clouds of anger and betrayal and 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 uh, and violation and 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 silencing. I mean, it's like clouds moving in over the love, and the experience over many years, and then the writing of the book and everything that happened uh, around that, in a sense, helped clear away those clouds. I mean, look, mm -hmm. I'm I'm only quote 52 years old. I have a lot more living and forgiving to do. Nice. Uh, and, and wrestling with you know anger and you know these are all human traits, but. Um, I, I, I did find a place of peace um, with my father and my mother as well, but very much my father uh, through a very strange turn of events, which I write about it near the end of the book. And, and briefly, because I don't want to give too much of the book away, but 
briefly, you know, uh, when I came back and, and uh, attempted to, to reestablish a relationship with my parents, um, strange things started happening mm. in this respect, in that they started to talk more about their lives, which had been absent from my childhood. And my father and I, in particular, developed this this interesting relationship where where he told me more than my siblings about his history in Hungary and what he had been through as a child, and and this really was so healing for me and 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 I'm sure for him too. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, this is what we all want. We we just want that level of intimacy you know there were no big parades i i knew nice. my father always loved me i always loved my father but there was so much sort of second guessing and doubts and yes betrayal and that got in the way and and i guess also at the you know toward the end of his life um there there was much more vulnerability which is a beautiful thing and it allowed us to to speak more directly with each other yeah, I had a very similar experience with my dad. Um, he ended up in the hospital. He had been suffering with Parkinson's disease for many years, Peter. And they ended up doing, a, I can't even remember the name of the surgery, but they ended up putting in two titanium rods uh, down his cervical spines. Five or six of the discs had had, had, had uh, deteriorated. And so he ended up getting sepsis. And it was it was a, just, a, it was a mess. And so he was on medications and he had the infection and wasn't sleeping properly, plus the Parkinson's and so on. And, you know, what's so interesting and ironic is that under the, the, the medication uh, and, and dealing with the, the disease and, and this illness, we had some of the most lucid and interesting and open and authentic conversations. And it was there that, uh, um, hmm, you know, uh, love was always there in my family in a deep, deep, intimate way for sure. But, you know, you look back and you go, gee, I wonder if things had been a little different. What if, you know, the what if questions sometimes, sometimes haunt me. But my dad and I were able to connect in a way that we had never done before. And how odd, you know, I guess maybe, maybe it's mortality or, or the, you know, bearing down that allowed the, 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 the door to open. But, but isn't it, I mean, this is what is so interesting and ironic to me about your book, The Inheritance of Shame. Um, your new book, The Inheritance of Shame, is that you're, you're attending to the violence by writing, what, 352 pages. Your story, telling others, is, is what's I believe, going to allow others not only in, but um, the, the, the access and the freedom to, to hopefully tell theirs. I hope so. I hope so, because... <sighs> It's so important. You know, right now I'm reading Roxanne Gay's book, Hunger, uh, which is like number one everywhere. And it's it's amazing. And this is what she's doing, right? I mean, so many people have done it before me and will continue to do it after. Just stripping away and speaking from that vulnerable place. And when I read her book and others that I've read like it, it just speaks to me so directly that, once again, we are all the same. And when we are able to speak from this vulnerable place we just connect with our humanity with each other's humanity you know we get lost in all of our political differences right and yes. religious differences but beneath it all there is there is this uh, one humanity yeah and i think i think you're right and i i would argue and i think you know i don't even think i'd have to argue it but i would you know have a long conversation with anyone about this idea of everyone bleeding red 
you know, to, to quote you in the sense that I think what we all need and all and what we're all really desiring is that intimacy, that inclusion, that embrace, if you will, back to full circle to the hugs as being a form of language, you know, the kind of the way you start the book. I mean, isn't that what we all are really uh, craving in some way? And I'm not even sure that we know that. <laughs> You know? you know, and I also don't want to make it sound too too simplistic. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, there's nothing harder than yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, I, I have I have a relationship with my family, um, despite years of turmoil. But it's not easy because, mm-hmm. you know, in particular, a couple of people in the family, uh, as well as my mother, um, are so politically. Um, uh, different. I I could. <laughs> Then, is then that your? Own. Is that going to be the topic of your next book? Is that what you're well, saying, Peter? You, you know, there, I touch about, I touch on it here, obviously. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. We were always raised um, uh, with this sort of liveliness in the family. You know, just although my parents would not talk about trauma, they talked endlessly about European politics. Mm. So there's a strange. Uh, mix in the air, right? It was always very lively, um, and so I was raised with 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 this type, you know, ideologies in the air and politics and talk of religions and. But it's very difficult. I mean, it's very difficult to see uh, one of my siblings and hear him him um, giving it away. Uh, you know, speak about his love of Trump, for instance, and and just sort of. Um, uh, hang on to right. the relationship, right? Uh, it's a very challenging thing. Yeah, finding how how do you finding common ground, right? Yeah. Finding common ground. Uh, how do we step into another worldview? How do we step into another uh, theology or philosophy or whatever it is? I mean, what's going on in the states right now? Well, it's not just the states. I mean, it's everywhere. But 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 recently with Charlottesville, I mean, you you just how how do you have a conversation? How do you reach out and embrace that person that you so clearly, ideologically, vehemently disagree with, and say, you know, we can? How do we get to the next phase? How do, how do I love this person? Uh, to, and with with the hope and that you know that that we are going to step into some sort of significant kind of social change. I mean, yeah, I, I I don't know what the answer to that is. Although I think part of it is that we do need to have, I don't know, have the faith to keep trying, be willing to. to you know, as Kierkegaard says, you know, uh, to you know, just to continue to take those steps, and the only way we're going to do it is by stepping into it, and the only way we're going to understand it is when we look back, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, it's going to make some kind of sense. Um, um, anyway, I uh, yeah, listen, uh, Peter, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm so sorry. I I I could talk to you for hours. In fact, I think we need to do a part two. I hope I hope you'll consider that. Mike Liu, author of Victims No Longer, says this quote: His healing speaks to the power and fortitude of the human spirit the inheritance of shame is both about damage and healing this is a work of love close quote it really is a remarkable book i can't wait to finish it i'm, I'm only about 50 or 60 pages away um what what's next for you peter well, I am working on a piece of fiction, uh, and and you know, and I and I and I hope all novelists don't um, hate me for saying this, but it it feels like a cop out to write fiction after writing about 
this type of thing. I mean, in a sense that, you know, the world feels so urgent to me, the, the reality of what's happening in the world, even my own world, that to write fiction feels like, um, you know, a side story. But I am working on a piece of fiction. I just got a Canada Council grant. Nice. Uh, for this next project, but but you know the book has just come out. I mean, I'm I'm wanting to write some essays about certain Great. things I touch on in the book, but didn't explore. Um, so all of that's going on. Well, I think you know again, congratulations. I think it could be a launching point for 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 a new kind of therapy. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe maybe not, but there's so there's so much to mine here. It seems to me, and I you know I started out by all the listing the things that I felt the book was about. I'm sure I I didn't touch on them all, but uh, uh, thank you for for such a, a remarkable, authentic, and and transformative read. I really really do appreciate your time today, Peter. Well, I appreciate your time, so thanks. Thanks very much. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 